0: You're listening to the Emulsion Podcast, a show that informs and inspires the restaurant industry to work, live, and create better. My name is Justin Kana, and I'm a chef and media producer with almost 10 years of experience in award winning restaurants all over the world. I created this show as a way to give back, to inspire the next generation, and to help you progress your career. The Emulsion Podcast is sponsored by you folks, and Patreon is where that happens. If you're here as a return listener and you enjoyed the episode you just came from and happen to want to support more episodes, I'd really appreciate it. Go ahead and check out patreon.com slash Justin Thanks in advance if you can. I totally understand if you can't. Free ways you can support this show include leaving a like or comment on this video, filling up all five stars on iTunes, or simply sharing an episode with a friend. This is an interview show. If you missed out on asking your burning question to today's guest, don't let that happen again. There is a really handy dandy form where you can see upcoming guests and ask them your questions. Be sure to check out JustinConnor.com slash podcast. I'd encourage you to see who I've got coming up. When
1: they're blown away, like I get a high from that. Like, Interesting. Um, like it's like showing up like that in a way that they wouldn't expect and mm-hmm. Especially when you walk in, like like looking like people judge a book by its cover. So Mm -hmm. let's be real. When I walk in that way, they expect me just to be a chef to sit down in the corner. And when I'm able to talk circles around them in numbers, that to me is, like, exciting.
0: Today's guest is Derek Simsick executive chef of Scout Pacific Northwest in the Thompson Hotel here in Seattle. He's been in the game for almost twice as long as I have. I first had the pleasure of shooting some video for an event that Derek and a friend of mine were hosting, and we hit it off right away. So we jam on so many things. I love his food. I love debating industry topics with him. He's traveled the world and lived abroad himself, and in this episode, we talk through chefs changing the culture of cities culinary school alternatives, being a financially knowledgeable chef, growing up with food, hip-hop, tattoos, and more. This is one of those guests and friends that I know someday in the life of this show will show up for a round two, so stay tuned for that. But this is also a really unique format for a podcast. I know a lot of people, myself included, attempt to obsess over audio quality and having completely soundproof studios and perfect levels. This is different. This is a different kind of episode. I asked Derek to meet for this recording in the restaurant, so for you as a listener, this is almost like being a fly on the wall, or more how I would like you to interpret it if you were to physically pull up a chair and hang out with us over coffee in the dining room at the restaurant. So if you watch the video of this episode, there's literally a brunch service happening behind us, but this intro is over. My chat with Chef Derek Simsek starts now, and after the episode, definitely let me know your feedback on this format. Did you like the restaurant vibe, or do you prefer the more clean and minimal podcast that I'll normally post. So for cochon or
1: whatever, like the pigs have to be USDA killed or slaughtered and they have to be skin on, head on. And the only place that does that is south of Oregon or south of Portland. Um, So she
0: she can't do that kind of slaughter or she's not certified? She's not
1: certified to do it it herself. Got it. And she's actually looking at doing that because uh, she's expanding the pig program over there. And the place she goes to does skin off, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really weird. And so she had to bring it to the slaughterhouse down in South of Portland. Well, I was, as of right now, my pig's still alive
2: uh, because
1: their slaughterhouse. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, their slaughterhouse got shut down by the USDA due to paperwork. Is what they're saying. Um, Interesting. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, and I'm like freaking out because I have stuff that's got a timeline on curing yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like no charcuterie. It's like it's some other stuff, but it's like. Holy shit, like I started freaking out a little bit and I got everybody on the phone. Anyways, we did a -a Build-A-Pig with the parts she has in her freezer so I I can get started on some stuff and my pigs hopefully will be here Tuesday by one o'clock.
0: That's so crazy. So over like, like time total time go to, pedal to the metal. Oh
1: my god! I was. They're like, are you gonna be okay? We're gonna have a backup pig just in case. I'm like, we're chefs. We figure this stuff yep, out. We'll yep. do shit on the fly all the time. Hell yeah! But <laughs> they out for so yesterday and the day before. I was like nonstop for like every hour on my phone, like between Cochon and the farmer and everyone trying to get everything. That's crazy. <laughs> Anyways. You, but you're
0: excited
1: for it? I'm super stoked, man. Yeah. I'm super super stoked. Uh, stoked uh,
0: to yeah. be there.
1: I'm excited about the uh, menu. What we're gonna be putting out for the yeah. judges' table. How many stuff people like do that. you cook for? It, so the way it goes is right when you show up it's uh 20 i think it's 26 judges so you get like there's one long table with two round tables put together and there's 26 seatings and it's basically six courses on one plate like six little bites yep uh they say up to six i'm like so we're doing all six obviously but uh and it's everything from table decor to the actual plate, the food that they judge you on. Um, and it's quick. It's like they don't spend much longer than like eight minutes or ten minutes at There's that a table. There's contestants. Uh, five chefs. Uh, five uh, chefs. Five. It's uh, that's the five-five-five. Five chefs, five pig farmers, and five psalms. Understood. And they're paired with a psalm that pours for you. Um, and then after they're done going through everything, then it opens up the VIP for about an hour, and then they open the floodgates. Until about I think it's four o'clock, and then they shut it down, and yep. then they announce the winner, and whoever wins goes to Chicago. Last year was the first year it was in Chicago, because um, before it used to always be an Aspen Food and Wine yep, yep, yep. Um, during the same time, but they changed it because of uh, it's not so big, and they don't have any venues out there during that time, mm-hmm. so they, it's now in Chicago.
0: I don't know how Chicago won that lottery of getting like every single because uh, James Beard is there. there
1: yeah, James Beard is there. Uh, that's there.
0: What Else is
1: there well, and they also have like their own, like their Jean like, one that's their own the yeah, yeah, personal yeah, one. But true. that's what I was going to bring up was yeah. that Jean Banchet was it's, it's like I've never seen for a local city food award ceremony, it's like the Oscars, yeah, yeah, yeah like totally. people get like, Dress up. yeah, to the nine, you have an MC, like uh, I think last year or the year before, it was Musner, yep, yep,
0: yep, yep, <laughs> totally. And I know that guy very well, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we, we've talked about that totally, totally. Uh, so I don't do an intro. Uh, I record an intro after. Okay. I record an outro after. Okay. I, like, kind of hype you up, give you kind of, like, every, give everybody the lowdown on who you are. Okay.
1: Um,
0: but, yeah, I I mean, we don't have to do any, like, small talk to intro. Maybe we can just start with the State of the Union from you and your thoughts on, like, chefs and media and kind of, like, where <laughs> you're at right now. Um, in, 20, in uh, what is it, April of 2018. 18, yeah. Where's your head at?
1: April 2018. Where am I at? Um, I... I I'm in a place where I think I'm trying to rewrap wrap my head around because uh, certain things have changed in my career in a good way. Um, pers- professionally, um, like the day-to-day grind, I've, I've taken on like a regional leadership role as well, so helping support two other properties that um, are part of our company that within the whole company has had some changes with the merger between the two companies to create what it is now. Um, and so that's new. Um, trying to get to know each other and those aspects of things, and then myself within that newness of that is also very new in that aspect of things, uh, especially with the company um, two years now. Um, where before I was with my last company for eight and a half years, uh, traveling the U.S. with them. Um, so it, my, part of me in my personal headspace is kind of figuring that out, but at the same time, not being complacent or sitting back and just doing the day to day as well. Um, I sometimes sit back and go, why did I agree to these things? Um, still doing dinners, um, still doing appearances, trying to um, do all the cooking competitions I can do, like just trying to always still stay plugged in um, and, and try not to stay, not try not to get rusty. Right, right. <laughs> so that's part of it. but. Um, And then the rest of the world, I mean, and then at the same time, it's like observing what's going on, why we're doing that, and it's interesting where we're at right now, both, I guess you would say, globally, and also in a very much more micro view of where we are right here in Seattle as well. Um, I think it's very interesting how things are changing and shifting, Um, obviously, for the past, I guess we could say, what, 20 years now? The media has changed what the public looks at in our um, the view of what culinary is, or chefs are, sure. and restaurant life is. Um, you know, hashtag chef life they don't is what they think it is, totally. and, and I think a lot of us, myself at fault, put project a certain persona out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. Um, because um, that's along that helps drive that direction sometimes. Which people are shocked when they find something else out about how true it really is because we don't. A lot of times don't put that out there, um, and but it, it's good. It's bringing awareness. I think it's part of the reason why cooks nowadays are getting paid more than I ever got paid as an hourly cook. They have benefits that I never had or could dream of. I had to go work for a company to get those. Um, they, you know, they have a qual- They're starting to get a quality of life, uh, which is you know, as somebody who came up in those older kitchens, it's, it's part, the the. Even though I'm not that old, the old man in me is going like, "Oh, change!" You know, these young whippersnappers don't understand the struggle of working 18-hour days, like seven days a week for three months or whatever, being paid like two, like seven dollars an hour. Like, but at the same time, it's like I'm glad because it helps with the 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 work environment, helps with longevity of keep retaining employees. Um, Turnover is a little bit less when you have a culture in the kitchen now. That's not the old school culture. Um, uh, we're looked at more as leaders, uh, so that whole aspect of things is kind of nice. In the global aspect, um, people's demand of quality, especially in the U.S. Um, now, is it's kind of kind of great to see this shift go from people just wanted it, eating was more of a uh, survival. You need nutrients. You just ate. You didn't care what you put in your body. Um, you know, people had the same meals seven days a week. You know, um, now people. Have hyper aware and it's not like a West Coast thing anymore or you know or Alice Waters thing or anything like that like it's it's the global aspect of understanding where our food came from when the seasons are what's being put in it we're very much more hyper aware of that which to me is very refreshing growing up the way I grew up that was kind of the norm so I never really I kind of took it for granted until um, I saw the revolution happening here Um, And I started on the East Coast, so I actually, it kind of felt like the beginning of the revolution, of that evolution for me um, happening here in the States because it was just a little bit later on catching up from what the West Coast was already doing in that timeline, but now it's kind of nationally. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of interesting in that whole, like, global aspect, um, in a good way. And then even here in Seattle, as you know, um, change is happening. It's fastest growing market in America two years in a row. Totally. I mean, there's, some, there's like it's thousands of people a month moving yep, here. Yep. Um, I heard it's like a week like, it's yeah, something like, a like couple that. Weeks where it was yeah. like a thousand people a week.
0: It's just like crazy. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's just like within like just a, like I've been here two years, uh, a little over like two and a half years, and I've already noticed traffic changing in mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. routes. And stuff like that, and it was... But th- with that being said, it's just naturally evolving into, like, the food and restaurant scene here changing as well, um, and I think it's interesting we're on a cusp of uh, figuring out what direction Seattle's food is going to go, because mm. I think the city as a whole is, like, we're in the moment, and if you're super hyper-aware, sure. take a moment and look as, like, the whole city It's like to actually see in this space and time that we are actually noticing a city shift. Yeah. And it's happening in front of our eyes, and a lot of times you just like kind of like blink and it happens. Mm-hmm. Like we can actually physically see it happening. So um, it's interesting on that aspect is to see how, what's coming into the city, to see how it's going to change when it comes to food and beverage on that aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, what new chefs may be coming in, um, how the, uh, how the current chefs may change a little given the demographic changing and what the clientele may want to have to eat now. Um, it's At the end of the day, we have to evolve to survive. Um, and it will be, it, I think it's exciting um, in a way to see how that's gonna happen.
0: Rather than being uh... Resting on your laurels is yeah. like, um,
1: or trying to fight it. Or I mean, like...
0: I look at uh, like what what recently happened with San Francisco and New York. Mm. Like New York just kind of like sat back and was like, we're the best food city in the country. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like we look up and it's like San Francisco has more Michelin stars than New York now. Yeah. yeah. just like, that's what happens. <laughs> well, and
1: they also lost the James Beard Awards yep. now and yep. stuff like that. Yep. Like so, like there's and they're, they're in Chicago. Um, it's, yeah, it's definitely one of those things you have to, you know, you can't rest on it because you're never going to grow. Mm-hmm. And right now, I think there's a lot of attention to, in this region to see how it grows because uh, I think a lot of the nation is having a lot of uh, anticipations or there um, a lot of desire to see this city or this region, the Pacific Northwest as a whole, right. really, I think, be the next um, frontier when it comes to
0: culinary. Who, in your opinion, drives that? like, that, that change? Is it? Is it the chefs? Is it the consumer? Is it just the money? Is it uh, the, the novelty? Um, is it... Uh, I mean, I think a lot about how, like, the, the way that the Bay Area, at least in a couple of restaurants, was able to catapult itself was because it had that fusion of um, Eastern culture, Western culture. I mean, if you look at a lot of these Bay Area tasting menus, they are, like, a kaiseki meal. Yeah. And it's, like that I feel like lent itself a lot to, so who drives that?
1: I think it's a great question, and I think it's a combination of everyone. Um, Obviously, you need to have the money, you have to have people who have a disposable income, um, who aren't um, afraid to spend the money on going out to eat. Conservative. Exactly, and and they're adventurous though with spending that money too. Um, So you need that for sure, you also need the the openness of the area um, to, to be wanting, they want that, they, right. to, to, to help it survive, um, but you also need the chefs too, I, and I think if I was to prioritize it, you need the chefs to, first to be able to want to do it, to push the envelope, to not be scared, mm. but they have to do it in a thoughtful way. It right. has to be executed right. Um, you can't just throw every trend on a plate. Mm-hmm. And be like, oh, I'm the new hot chef because I'm doing X, Y, and Z. I feel um, like Chicago
0: fell victim to that with a couple of chefs. Yeah. They tried to like just do
1: trends. Yeah.
0: And it it's it's not enough. Right?
1: Yeah. No, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's not. Well, because at the end of the day, it has to be good. Right. It, it, at the end of the day, people what they put in their mouth has to taste great. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. They're mm-hmm. eating at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And and if it's not good food, then why would they? I always say it has to not just look like art and take. It can't just look like art because it'll mm-hmm. end up tasting like art. Yeah. 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 Um, Um, But it also has to taste good, you know, so I think that's where it starts with it's the most key factor Because if you have a if you have talented individual chefs that are willing to take the risks and are willing and but they can do it right then you can Teach the clientele around you to Mm. want that because if it tastes good, it's gonna speak for itself They're gonna tell everyone they're gonna have no problem be adventurous. It's educating them in that hands-on approach um, if it tastes like art and it's just a trend on the plate they're going to go there and that's why trendy restaurants don't last that long yep. um, they have a very small short li- uh, lifeline um, mm. especially with that initial business that they get boom um, and, and, and then it falls short okay. it falls flat but if you do it right it can I think open up things
0: totally Uh, Can you give everyone a little background on you and where you've kind of been geographically? Because it's been, and it can be rapid fire, it can be in depth if there are any stories that stick out that have really impacted you, Uh, but you've been all over.
1: Yeah, I have, Um, so I grew up over, I grew up moving around a lot. My dad was uh, was uh, an agent in the uh, Central Intelligence Agency. Mm-hmm. Gotta make sure I say it all out because yeah. I don't want to say CIA. Totally. And people think he was a the chef. School. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he worked in the intelligence agency. I was born overseas uh, in Athens, Greece, and then from there I lived in every major continent, um, going from Athens to Tunisia, um, Tunis, Tunisia, Northern Africa, to uh, Europe, where Frankfurt, Germany, two different tours. Um, London, uh, Amsterdam, uh, South France, um, came over to the Far East Asia area, uh, Hong Kong, Seoul, graduated high school outside Tokyo, uh, a place called Yokosuka. Mm Fun fact is uh, side side note for all your Star Wars fans. I grew I went to Tunis, Tunisia, where is where all the Tatooine scenes were filmed. Whoa! And uh, the guy who graduated from my high school is Mark C. Hamill.
0: No um, Graduated in,
1: in uh, Japan. Yeah, so it was kind of crazy. His dad was in the Navy, so Jesus it was a naval Christ. base. Yeah, a <laughs> little well, like six degrees of separation, yeah, yeah, yeah. in a way. Um, but anyways, and then came back to the states to DC area, um, and went to went to was going to going to go to art school, dropped out. Went to culinary school. Uh, went to go to Vienna, Austria for a little bit right after graduating. And then came back and then worked in the D.C. market uh, from D.C. to Chicago, Chicago to Santa Barbara, California to now, most recently, uh, Seattle.
0: Totally. <laughs> uh, taking it back to when when you were a kid, Yeah. with uh, moving around a lot, did you, um, what were some things that you held on to very closely when you were a kid? Did you Do you have anything that yeah. you... Uh, found refuge in or uh, obviously moving around a lot
1: Totally. Or
0: some hobbies or some things
1: that you um, oh god um, so moving around and like really reflecting on that aspect there was a couple of things that were constants in my life though no matter what country we were in and where we were at uh, my mom's cooking was one uh, I was very fortunate and I didn't, re- I didn't realize until I got older and I started going to a friend's house and stuff like that or or like a girlfriend's house or even my wife's house, uh, family's house now uh, and realizing that everybody grew up eating the same way I did. Um, Mm -hmm. Mom's from Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, So dinners were different. They were legitimately like crawfish etouffee and chicken fricassee and gumbos and uh, beignets for breakfast and I was, that was normal um, kind of cooking for us. And no matter where we lived, she still figured out how to do a lot of that stuff to make sure we were raised kind of that way she was raised. Mm -hmm. But then we also, like we were very open to eating and shopping in the markets and wherever we were at um, to really embrace that culture. But we did it through food and music. Music was the other one Mm -hmm. that was huge. My mom's like CD record cassette uh, collection was unreal. I think she has something like 3,500 CDs and like another. I don't know how many thousands of records and it's just and music was always playing in the house on the weekends and um, during the day or whatever so that I think art maybe I guess if you really put it into that yeah. kind of way of yeah. things um, I originally was going to art school uh, or I was always in every art class or whatever like that um, drawing fine arts um, so that was something I always took refuge in was I always drew. I always sketched. I would sit in my room, um, door closed, and just draw for hours. Uh, I remember actually one time we were in Japan. Yeah, my senior year of high school, I closed the door and in like two or three days with a mechanical pencil, I did a life-size um, drawing of like a sketch of like a skateboarder mural on one end and a snowboarder mural on the other, and all black and white, um, like realistic, took photos, had to give it to like um, to bring it to art class to show like the professors. The art was always there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a c- constant. And then um, cars. Cars with my dad. Interesting. Uh, wherever we were, we'd be like, look, we'd go to every car show. He had like every kind of muscle car, tran- like every Trans Am generation there was. He was a southern boy, so it was like Trans Am's, Corvette, um, <laughs> and motorcycles were the thing. So uh, that was another thing. like changing oils on his car uh spark plugs like i always complain that like cars nowadays you can't do the work yourself anymore right, right. Uh, unless you have an it degree but yeah, back yeah, then yeah. it was just like we would do it ourselves so. that's something
0: i zero knowledge of cars. <laughs> it's just not my thing uh is there an uh an art form that you uh either didn't gravitate to or because you said drawing was like the thing mm-hmm. uh i took like a art one course in, in high school yeah. and it was like during my senior year i botch, I, I, uh, I just threw it on my on my uh, thing because I, I, I knew I was going to culinary school. Yeah. Uh, we had to do sculpture, we had to do printmaking, we had to do is there one that uh, you wish you were better at or maybe that you like you, you've tried it and you're like that's not for me?
1: Uh, I would probably be, yeah I would definitely say like anything which is so weird because I work with my hands right. every day. that's
0: why it blows my mind. It's because it was like sculpture wasn't for me, but cooking is great.
1: And I was going to say the sculpture and pottery. Mm-hmm. Like anything clay that I had to mold or do, like I tried and tried. I just, I don't know what it was. I couldn't do it, but like I can take a mechanical pencil and draw this realistic life-size like portrait of, of anything. Uh-huh. And like a lot of my ideas, a lot of times if you look through my my moleskin notebooks is a lot of them are drawings like full-on drawings of plates. Interesting. Um, and But yet when it comes to like anything 3D unless it's on a computer then I can I can F around with it but when it comes to uh, actual hands-on 3D stuff it's, I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if I don't have the, the delicate touch enough but but then it's funny you bring that up now it got me like concerned yeah, yeah. like why because yeah. i pull out my like you know when we're doing tasting menus or something like that like certain elements i'll bring up my tweezers i'm able to drop it delicately totally uh, but yet when it comes to i, I that's it's so, the one mm-hmm, <laughs> so
0: mm-hmm. it's so weird maybe i i find uh comfort in knowing that the food uh doesn't it's not that it doesn't have to be perfect. It's just that like that slight there's a it's like that wabi sabi mm. element to it, yeah, right? yeah. Where there's like there's beauty in it not being perfect. Yeah. The whereas perfection
1: and imperfection. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. But when I look at like a piece of art or like a drawing or something like that, like if your proportions for the eyes are off, you, it looks like a Picasso in a weird way. You know what but I mean? The, like,
1: but then in that same argument, you can say Picasso beautiful. became work. Totally. He's totally. The one of the masters. Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, it's so interesting to me. But uh, were you into sports?
1: Uh, yeah, I definitely, nothing, I never played football, um, but I played basketball and baseball and soccer. Uh, baseball was one of those things, I think, once I got the interest in girls, disappointed my dad because I stopped playing sports, got and it. baseball was the one that he was looking at me as. I was a little league uh, all-star team in, uh, in Germany. Uh, we went to go play, and when I was like, the, God, what was I like? like I can't remember eight in the ten mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. Uh, if I we would have the tournament we were in we could have won if we didn't get crushed by Spain we would have came over to the u.s. to play in the lowly like World Series wow. tournament um, so baseball was one of the big ones and then basketball um, my only issue with basketball was I could shoot and dribble like crazy but I was I didn't break five foot until my freshman year Shit. of high school and I didn't break five three until, so I was between five foot and five three until the end of my junior year and then junior year to senior year through that summer into the winter, like basically like spring of June, uh, into my junior year to, uh, winter of my senior year, I grew from five, three to six foot.
0: (laughs) You're six foot now? Just barely. Yeah. Just barely. Yeah. I'm like 5'11", man. I yeah. I wish I was taller. It's <laughs> so sad. Uh, I want to jam a little bit on crossovers, okay. because it's something that you've been pretty well known for. A lot, like when I was doing research on you for this, a lot of the articles were your hip-hop dinner, yeah. your tattoo dinner. Um, where does that come, come from for you, and where? To, maybe you can talk a little bit about those dinners you've already done, and where the inspiration comes from.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of collaborative dinners. Um, or I, I call them collaborative um, because I'm trying to collaborate between it may not be with another chef but it's with another art form and to me I think it goes back to that my background and my my past passions um, is art um, drawing uh, I'm pr- pretty ta- covered in tattoos um, music um, I was a more of a like Growing up, I was like a whole bunch of different types of music, uh, like you know, classic rock uh, to like um, country, big time to uh, you know, '70s uh, groove, uh, kind of funkadelic kind of sounds. But uh, when I came into my own, I got I was really old school hip hop head. Um, a lot of my friends were b boys, um, and <laughs> and that was kind of like the hip hop aspect of things. Like you know, like the greats, like back in the day, to me, like you know, Public Enemy, Big Daddy Kane, uh, Beastie Boys. Uh, you know, it's just that whole world is kind of like 80s, 90s hip hop. So, anyways, to go back to the question is that's kind of a background of my passions to kind of show where it's where I come up with these. Is trying to I come into work not looking like it's work. Right. So then what I try to do is like how can I bring more of what I like to do and more of what is fun for me into quote-unquote work because then at the end of the day I get paid to do it so it's awesome (laughs) it's a win-win and and that's kind of where they start to happen a lot of them come about without I don't sit around and be like okay what's my next one it literally happens in like all of a sudden the most random moment and I'll go running down the hall at work to like um, the hotel GM's uh, office I got an idea it's like I got the next dinner and they'll look at me like, "Okay, what is it?" And like, and I'll t- spew it off, and they're like, "How did you come up with that?" And yeah. I'm just like, I, "It just came to it's me crazy literally crazy. like yeah. 30 seconds ago," yep. Yep. and then we run with it. Yep. Um, and I think that's the, cause I think that's where there's the most true to it, mm-hmm. um, like the most real. Like, there's more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's like street cred, or totally. like you can tell there's. Passion behind it when it's that spur of the moment. Then if I sat around brainstorming, because then I feel like it's forced. Right. I'm trying to figure out what's the next thing that people want and not what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, so like yeah. So the hip hop one was with uh, that, for example, was I took the dinner, the food, and I took some of the great hip hop artists of the '80s and '90s, early 2000s favorite dishes, um, and I did a quote unquote fine dining twist to it or inspiration to it so it became a tasting menu um, but then we also teamed up with uh, DJ Neil Armstrong who is Jay-Z's former world tour DJ so then you actually bring the music element into it as well where he had a mixtape that played during the dinner and then he did a DJ session up on the rooftop afterwards mm-hmm. like after a party yeah. um, but it's bringing that like old school hip hop aspect of the, the DJ was really the, the, the force behind right. the music and that's how like like rap or hip-hop became was like the DJ was the MC and and he was the one that kind of got everybody together and then like then you would have the uh, and he would drop the beats or whatever and then you had the the lyricist who would then rap over that um, so that's where that one came the tattoo one was more there's kind of two factors when I did that one one was not to get too deep into the political world it was but the political climate we were in at the time when this dinner happened was uh, early or late winter, early spring uh, right after the election, the 2016 election uh, there was a lot of uh, cuts happening and arts in public schools was a, I mean they've already been being cut yep. but there was a big cut that happened and that was my refuge in yeah. high school yeah. and school was the art classes I, like, I looked forward to those and to get away from the real world for a, like, at least an hour um, and one of the art forms that in my opinion don't get a lot of credit until just recently um being an actual art form was tattoo art um so i that's where i was like how do i pay homage to these guys who are really good friends of mine that i think are wicked wicked talented Um, and it was doing a dinner where so what we did was we encompassed the full like experience where we actually had a pop-up tattoo shop um, where we had the four i invited four artists um, all the way from my boy Kenny in D.C. who flew, or North Virginia flew out um, for this and they, people could get tattooed and then later they came down and had dinner and then through that dinner is where I took over and told the story of these individuals um, through food, like what they go through, like from, and it was like every course, like it started with like, most of them get inspired by somehow to become artists, so it was like the first one was like a piece of art, like that they would get inspired by. Then it was like, it was the uh, ink dish where they could, uh, or no, they got, then it was quote unquote, the cannabis dish. Um, it looked like marijuana nugs. Cause then, you know, the joke it, some, there was some tongue in cheek to it right, where right. the joke was like, they got high to get like, okay, I can get inspired to draw. Yeah, exactly. And then it went from that to uh, the dish was uh, ink. It was like, it looked like your ink pen exploded to the next dish that looked like paper. So it was like, put your ink to the paper. And then there was a dish that was actually like, you're tattooing, yep. um, where the, the piece of pork was actually tattooed with squid ink that yep. they ate. And then there was, again, that tongue-in-cheek of like tattoo artists, kind of like chefs, are known to party. Yep. Um, and it looked like, uh, it was tapioca multiduction done in a powder, but it was done on a piece of mirror, so it looked like cocaine, yep. Yep. Uh, yep. with a razor and all. <laughs> so you had everybody doing that. And then the final one was, uh, the dessert was used with like, sara jerry rum in it. Um, and it was used with that, and then on top of that, we printed on edible paper the tattoo work of the tattoo artists that were there. So cool. you got to see, one, so like it was two things, Like they got solidified as a great, like Sailor Jerry, right. um, It got immortalized, and at the same time, to seeing everybody's reactions of like, oh wait a second, that's my tattoo. Yeah. Wait, that's one I did before. Like, it, that whole aspect was cool. And then all the money, uh, the proceeds and all that went to helping raise money for uh, arts and public schools Fantastic. on that aspect. Um, So that was kind of how that one came about. Um, Again, like some of them were like, they're jokes. Like Mm -hmm. I was, remember a marketing meeting one day uh, we we're in february and they were joking and like oh hey what are we, okay we're going month by month kind of like some big projects we wanted to work on for marketing and they're like what are we going to do in april and i joked and i was like hey how about we do a, a 420 dinner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were like cool what do you want to do And i was like wait what yep. you're serious yeah. and I, and that's how like the cannabis one came about Interesting. and i teamed up with a local cannabis shop here mm-hmm. so every a lot of them are just like just take, like joking and shooting like shit right. and just like off the hip, and all of a sudden it happens. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but they all back to kind of like what, like what I like to do, mm. and so I can have fun at.
0: Where, in that point in your career, because you can't you can't run around like a loose cannon and just yeah. shoot ideas out like that, for your whole career, right? You can't yeah. you can't make. When did you always struggle with that? Where you were like in your kitchens, and you're like I have this idea, but I can't execute it because I'm just a cook and did, did you have a moment where it flipped for you and you were like, uh, finally, I can do my own thing? Or you, and you sought out those opportunities? Like, Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I never actually really sat back and thought about that. Uh, yes, I will say when I was a cook, I, I there were moments where I was like, okay, I want to try to do something, but I couldn't. But at the same time also, because I came up in those older kitchens that I knew my place and my role. And, to be honest, I didn't think the shift in my career ha- would happen as soon as it did. Um, I became an executive chef at 25. Yeah. Um, I thought if I was lucky, if I got that chance when I was 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my my goal when I was like early 20s was to get to try to be one by 30-something. Yeah. And that happened way earlier than I expected. So I got lucky that I w- that shift happened earlier, but when I was younger, I think I was okay with the head down, yes, chef, two, you know, like, I remember kitchens I worked in would be like, yes, chef, no chef, 2 minutes, chef was all you could say. Totally. <laughs> totally. And, and it was silent. Yeah. That was it. Um, but, and I mean, they weren't fun, but at the same time, those experiences did form me into who I am now and allow, and then also how I run the kitchens I run now by giving that freedom to my team. Sure. Um, it's much more of a more collaborative um, mindset. But uh, I guess that, that and even when I first became an executive chef, I I took the mentality of a it's an evolution not a revolution. Got it. Um, in that and I, I I still had to prove myself before I could start, like because I mean at that age, I mean I was always being questioned. Like I I've had to do so many tastings just to get the job, um, and even after I got the job, just because they weren't sure, they were like, hey, we're gonna hand over this, you know million dollar multi-million dollar operation to a 25 year old to run Uh, let's make sure we're doing this right so it it did and it was in Chicago too so it's like you're playing the big oh sorry Uh, you're you're playing you're playing in the big leagues yeah. too Um, on top of that it's like being drafted to go play for the Yankees or like uh, you know the Cubs or somebody like that like it's it's no little (laughs) uh, little mom and pop place so uh, that was so I took some time before I started pushing them a little bit uh once the the accolades started coming in some of the uh you know some of the recognition of who i was as a chef mm-hmm. the lists i started getting on that's when i kind of i was like okay i started to veer a little bit and started to go like now i can push the below now i can start having a little bit of fun sure um and then that also then everybody start, myself included starts seeing how that intel equaled more pr more more business mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, uh, you know, there was a definitely a, a search and need to come work with me yep, because yep. cooks wanted to see how that was happening, right? Um, and what my mindset was, like they, they tried to decipher the madness that was going on in my head, um, and and to, so all in all, it became a win-win-win down the road, and I just never looked back.
0: What do you have any advice for people who? Because I've certainly been there, where it's like you have all these ideas, but you're just a cook. And I love that evolution, not revolution thing, because that's the, the draw for a lot of people to this industry is that creativity, like freedom yeah. to, to mess around and, and, and put these big ideas out on a plate. Well, where, do you, where, do you draw, where do you draw that line of like, I still have more to learn, but I still have to push it? Well, I think
1: someone answer that in a really roundabout but in a different kind of way. So first of all, like the first thing you have to take an approach to when you're looking at things like that is look at any great artists. None of them came out the gate swinging. You know, they're, they're even I mean, look at any heavy hitter in baseball, like oh, Babe Ruth or something like that. They're, or, you know, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Ken Griffey, like the, the sluggers, they go up to bat and maybe they go up to bat six times out of the game. They only connect like twice. Yep. You know, what I mean, not every hit was a home run. Totally. Um, and, but when you but when you hit it, it was out the park. But you missed quite a bit. So you have to you got to take your time. Be more more. Don't swing at everything that comes. Um, look at any great artists like uh, Picasso or Van Gogh. Like they had their their eras Like you can look at their things and they were like the blue era or whatever. Like they, they evolved as they were throughout their their lifespan of becoming an artist or being an artist I should say. And if you look at them all I, I say a lifespan because they're constantly evolving and changing through their lives because their inspiration changes. Who their surroundings changes, their environment changes. Um, and I think if you sit back on the thing of like being quote unquote cocky or be like I know it all that teenage mentality of like don't tell me what to do I know how to do it um, that we've all gone through then you're doing yourself and your team a disservice because you're never really stopped learning I'm sorry like I guarantee you to this day the David Chains the Renee Rezepi's the Grand Ackis if you follow them there there's meals that they have that they post that have inspired them or re-inspired them because they're not they're never closing their eyes to the world they are open to the world more than anyone and they are taking it all in as much as they can like and that's you can't just sit back and be like i know it all so you definitely but you want to do it you want to slow the pace don't come out swinging um it, it, you really have to be able to 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 take it in to observe it process it because then it if you just like spurt it out, like you see a trend all of a sudden, and all of a sudden you're doing it, there's no thoughtfulness in there. There's no true roots to it. And I think that's where you need to to really just, like, there needs
0: to be some. it
1: needs to be you. right? And there's no right. truth to it then.
0: You've mentioned that you're very open to your staff, like yeah. coming to you. Say that there is a someone listening that doesn't have that chef that's kind of like, really open to that. What? should they be saying to that person that's maybe not as open-minded, to, if they have an idea, yeah. what do you like to hear from your cooks when they have this idea? Like, What sells it for you if they have this thing that they want to do?
1: Well, okay, so two parts to that. I guess there's a two-part answer to right. that question. One right. part would be if you are working for that chef, I would hope that we're looking at the cooks that are in the kitchen who are trying to grow and mm. you know they're the ones moving from kitchen to kitchen, they'll learn, work under a chef for a year and go on Um, kind of like how we did. Um, I would assume that person is, if that chef is being like that and you're working in that kitchen, then that chef is somebody who you're sitting in there because that person is going to still teach you something. And like, it's the Daniel Ballews. It's like some big name that's going to be on your resume that you're going to give them a year and you're going to come out there, come out of that kitchen a, a bigger badass than you were when you first walked in. So, I I, like, those kitchens, like, you just... Unfortunately, you're not going to change the chef's mentality. You just need to shut up, head down. That's the yes-chef, no-chef kind of kitchen. My approach, and now the second part to that is how I go about it, is if somebody comes to me with an idea, I want to see their thought process in it. I first, like, okay, let's talk it through. Explain it to me. Why are you doing these things? I, I don't question the why because I don't think you can do it. I I, I question a lot and I ask why a lot because I want to understand. I I seek to understand more. And if you understand the why, then there's more more concrete roots to that idea. and and then from there it's like okay let's after we talk it through and like maybe if it needs some editing or something like that we talk it through and then I, and I'm like let's put one up, totally. um, and that, it's just like any I think it's just like any what any chef should do with an idea to put on their menu or run as a special is editing and process and critiquing and going through and making sure it's what it is before you put it out there, um, and, and it's it's just the same process on that right
0: right I just think it's so valuable to have that conversation through because you and I have both been there yeah. where we have this idea in our head and it's like it's so good yeah. and the second you start to talk about it you're like ugh, yeah. fuck, <laughs> shit like that, that sounds so bad yeah. now that I'm actually like saying it Never
1: mind. don't, don't listen to me so anymore
0: it's so true uh, so maybe that's a good segue into this question, what can chefs be doing better to help this next generation so much of this show for me is about that um
1: that's a great question, because I don't know. If I know I don't know if my answer or my thought would be the right one, because mm-hmm. who knows? Because it's changing so much. Right. And I mean, the, part of me wants to be like, let's get back to the point of where they need to work their asses off for a while and totally. stage at places totally. for free for mm-hmm. like
0: three months before I you think, get offered I a job. I think it'd but. be really interesting <laughs> to see what an apprentice program looks like in the U.S. Four chefs, like a real, uh, uh, not like not culinary school, not like you can pay to play. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. But like,
0: what does an actual like two to five year apprenticeship? is really only look like?
1: like the only one I know about is the Greenbrier that does it. Yep. That they do apprenticeships. because I think that's what the Vitaggio brothers totally.
0: Went, but through. how does that look like at scale?
1: Like I don't... it's
0: cool. Like. Some of the smaller, like uh, Thomas Keller's men door uh, thing, oh, yeah, it yeah. works, but they only take on like x number of kids per year. Like, what does it actually look like to get a full full bore apprenticeship program in the U.S. I going? Mean,
1: I think, I mean, you're talking about a huge evolution there happening, totally. um, and I think that's a. I think you're looking at some because if you look at it the way they do in Europe, I mean, a lot of these kids they get, they test, they see where they're going to go and by age 15. You're in a kitchen. Yep. Yep. And that's where you're looking at certain, you know, in the U.S., you got certain child labor laws in state by state. I mean, I know some states, a lot of them, you can get a waiver signed by your parents at 15 to go work, right. but the limitation of the hours you can put in are very limited, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is fine, but it's, I actually like that idea a lot. I think it just has to, I don't think a kid needs a test to see what school they're going into. They can go wherever they want to go. Um, but I would appreciate that aspect a lot more if they were in a kitchen doing an apprenticeship, sure. even if they end up going to culinary school, mm. because so many culinary schools are for-profit, if not all of them, unless you go to a program at a community college, are all for-profit, right. so right. they sell you the dream to go in exactly. and none of them have any experience and then they get out of school without any experience except for their internship they've had to do for however many few hours. Sure. Um, and then all of a sudden they go get their first job expecting to be a sous chef making you know, they're told they're going to make $45,000, $50,000 a year, totally. when I'm like, no, no dude. <laughs> it's, not, it's not real. I, can't, I, mean, I don't know where you're getting that yeah. budget. <laughs> I don't have it. Oh, great. And I was like, so, God, how does, how does that roll? I mean, I think it starts with, I mean, you're looking at a bigger picture with our education system and looking at allowing kids at 15 to be able to go into kitchens um, while they're in school. Um, I, I think it would be great if, you know, it's a budget where it doesn't, or it's an outlet in school that is like an art. That, you know, people want to add, keep adding more art to it. So it is an art, culinary arts, um, that if they, without adding anything to the budget of having teachers, like if there was, I would say maybe even have it as part of one of your curriculums in your school that you could sign up for, that you could, because I remember certain AP classes that we would take, you would get bus to another school to go to, to take like the math class or the, or take the science class because right like you were in middle school AP but it was a high school level Sure. Um, so maybe it's like that whole aspect of like you know you you take all your regular classes up to uh, I mean I don't know what majority here but like I took a lot of block scheduling when I was in uh, like in Europe and stuff like that where it was like I had English every other uh, like three days a week and it was every other day and then I that was like those were A days and B days was like history and math or history art and science or whatever so if you looked at a block scheduling system, you could do it where the last block of the day, you left school right. and you went right into, into, a, kitchen. into a kitchen and you started your apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah. And by the time you're done, I mean, if you start your junior year, junior, senior year, that's two years there, sure. you're done with, you have your apprenticeship degree by, or certificate when you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, is then on top of that, though, so many businesses nowadays, and um, especially if you want to go into the hotel world, a lot of them here in the U.S. that required a degree and right. not a certificate. Right. So then you go into that, which could, I guess, in theory, you could go into that going towards credit, towards yeah. your culinary degree, yeah. and then you just take, uh, so then you only really have to take one or two years of just straight book courses of, like, right. management course and, mm-hmm. like, how to cost, uh, cost recipes and all that kind of stuff.
0: Whenever I have these ideas, I try to, like... See how far I can push the other way. I heard yeah. something along the lines the other day of um, internships are gonna die, and what's gonna flip the other way is you're actually gonna pay to go work for someone. Oh, how pay, do you think pay that them? Would look? I think so. Th- like someone shows up to your door, you vetted them, and they submitted an application with references or something like and that. And they
1: pay me to come and in like they my literally kitchen.
0: pay you $20,000 a year to work at your kitchen. App. And they do it for two years and you have it structured so that when they
1: graduate? I don't think it's gonna catch on. Really? I don't think so because you have to look at, most of the things when you walk away, you walk away with a like certified credential, like you have a cr- accredited school degree, sure, sure. like I know my culinary degree, I had to make sure the school was accredited so that degree meant something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if they ever do wanna say get out of that degree, out of that industry at some point, because let's be honest, especially in culinary, you get a lot of people get burnt out. Um, it is a young man's wor- a young person's world. Right. Um, so I, I think that might be an issue because you can't certify every restaurant yeah. as being accredited credential. Yeah. Um, they, I think people, the way our education system is and the workforce is, mm-hmm. people look at accreditation. And, and I, I think that's gonna be an issue. I mean, that was an issue my wife's uh, oldest brother, he went to the Art Institute before they became accredited uh, as a graphic designer. And it kind of was like when he started working and moving up, they kind of looked at it. They actually, the company he was working with, sent him to school to go get a real, to get a accredited degree because they were looking at it as like we can't move you up any further. Great thing is they paid for it. Sad thing is that he kind of like in a way kind of wasted two years yeah, yeah. of getting this certificate totally. that didn't mean anything.
0: So. The reason that I bring it up is because my perspective was I had the option to do my two-year associate's degree and then stay on to do two more years to get my bachelor's. Yeah. And I looked at what everybody was learning in those classes and I looked at all the other chefs I looked up to, Grant, Ferran, yeah. Thomas Keller, none of them had that level of education. And to me, I looked at it and I was like, no, I don't need it.
1: You stopped at two years. I stopped
0: at two years. And it hasn't proved me... It hasn't proved negative to me yet. And so I see it as, like, that's what I, that, that's my conversation, is why... But, it,
1: but you're unique, though. You are also you also work for yourself. True. Where true. you have to look at, like, what about the person who was raised... Who wants that job. Or, yeah, and they were raised in a way that was... Well, yeah, you have a couple of different people. You have the ones that like the corporate environment, and they yeah. want to work in that direction. Or that's where they, they really want. Their dream is to be a uh, research and development chef for McDonald's. Like, they pay... That's huge money, you know yep, what I mean? But yep, they're going to yep. look at making sure that a big corporation like that is going to look at what kind of certificates and background do you have. Oh, got it. And then and then even so, like in the hotel world, or you also have the people who are raised still with like the parents that are, I mean, they're slowly starting to die, that whole mentality starting to die out. But... You were you went to school. You went to go get this mm-hmm. degree before you could move on. Your dad wanted you. Like, I remember my dad was like, I don't care what you're going to be, but you're going to be the best damn person of that. Totally. Like, he's like, if you want to be a garbage man, you're going to be the best damn garbage man. Is right. what he's, he, I remember yep. him vividly telling me that. Mm-hmm. So when I was trying to figure out, I was on teeter tie like, teetering back and forth and dropping out of art school. He's the one that signed me up to go to culinary, because I was always in kitchens. He signed me up to tour the culinary class, school. And he was the one, because in his mind he was like you're really good at this there's i can see the passion even though you want to admit it at the Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. i'm gonna push you on this but you're gonna go do it and you're gonna get what you need so you can succeed so you still have you have those kind of people too so that's my issue is like you're like the one percent right now granted our in our society is changing with in a way where like even opening restaurants like in the past what 10 years it was Kickstarter, yep, like people, yep. like you have kids, uh, uh, mm-hmm. really kids totally. having access to funding now mm-hmm. that we never had. Totally, um, and or that's my that's too. my thing with
0: it is that uh, I think about the people who ask me about my experience, the people who, um, when I introduce myself and they ask me like, "Oh, where did you work? Like, yeah. where did you go to school?" Mm-hmm. CIA holds eight percent weight. And the fact that I was at the French Laundry for a little over a year is like
1: yeah. leaps and bounds. You know what I mean? Like, oh my god, you were there. Yeah. You
0: know what I mean? That's why I bring up like that's almost heavier could,
1: than your degree. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh,
0: at what point does that flip? And 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 if I could pay Thomas Keller twenty thousand dollars a year to go work at the French Laundry, and I think I think if it happens, we're going to look back at this thing where people are. Uh, Lawsuiting people for staging it's like and we're gonna laugh at it
1: well well okay so this is my issue 20 like even if it's not Mm $20,000 it's $10,000 to go stage there do most people who don't need that uh, degree and Mm -hmm. they just need a work experience because they want to open up a food truck or they want to open up a a, a, in a commercial or not commercial but a cafeteria like Mm -hmm. food hall which are Mm -hmm. becoming uh uh, popular and they have a little kiosk in there for their restaurant um, they are they going to go to the French Laundry though right. you know what I mean right. are they going to I and, mean it's
0: obviously going to be very targeted exactly
1: right? and also are you going to learn in that staging
0: yeah. internship
1: the business running aspect mm-hmm. of things because to be honest I didn't like culinary school and college was where I learned a lot of business mm-hmm. and then it wasn't until I got into a certain restaurant years into my career that I really got my hands on, understanding P&Ls and writing budgets and, costing and and controlling labor on that aspect, which you're not gonna get right away, Even you're not even gonna get in the first two years right. of working at a restaurant right. as a client level.
0: But my thing is, what it would flip for everyone. Like if, if, if one of your cooks was paying you $10,000 a year, you would prioritize teaching them those things.
1: But then you're becoming a, a culinary school
0: it would become this hybrid thing. Yeah. But and I'm and, not saying that's on you as, as a chef in this environment.
1: But but think about think about how again, just playing
0: double yeah, yeah, yeah. of, of course, of course. I automatically look at like yeah, the yeah. things that can't
1: work. Uh-huh. Look at look at this issues you have with just if you're a dinner only restaurant, like uh-huh. French laundry. Yep. How many hours could you put into prep for that one night service?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: When are you gonna have time to sit down and do a totally. curriculum?
0: But that's my thing, is if if you know that person is there for that kind of an education, why don't they work three days a week in the kitchen and two days a week as admin?
1: But my thing is you have to be able to sit there and like if you're yeah, Thomas yeah, yeah. Keller mm-hmm. and even his chef de cuisine,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like how often, like the free time you do have, you're being pulled away for appearances and Sure. And all that kind of stuff. And I, I just, I find it to, it's going to be difficult. Yep. I'm yep. not saying it's impossible. Totally, totally. And I think you're asking, like, let's, let's be honest too. Humans are creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. And once something's kind of set, it's really hard to make change happen. Right. And right. I think the change that you want, you're talking about, I think is great. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to take a big shift in something to make that change happen in that kind of direction. Right. Because. I mean, again, you're, I think it could be something could be an option, but yeah. you're looking at a small percentage. I don't think that that's gonna change and get rid of culinary schools, and this sure. is gonna be the new way sure. Sure. because it's so targeted and so specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just it's, think it's
0: such an interesting. And I would have theory. a hard
1: time, personally, I would have a hard time coughing up $10,000, 10, $20,000 a year, or whatever yeah. it is, to pay, to pay a chef mm-hmm. to go work in their kitchen. Yep. Yeah. To get labor out of me,
0: right?
1: Just to, for what? Because it's not the same aspect. And also, will banks give you loans, yeah. and will you be able to get student yeah, totally. loans? Because look at how expensive it is. I yep. mean, yep. I, I had to get a loan for my culinary education. Yep. Yep. So, and, and that's another question. Then. It's like, is that will banks look at that, or sure. or or federal school loans look at that as a an outlet that education. they can go? Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's not accredited.
0: Okay. It's just something I'm thinking about because I ask it, and there's a lot of culinary students listening, and there's a lot of, uh, there's so much talk about it. I get the question all the time, is culinary school worth it? And I'm looking at other industries where it's like the videography thing, you could go work for someone and be their videographer for a couple of months. I think, I think, well, okay, let's go real quick
1: about that thing. Is it worth it? I think it is, depending on what you put into it. Exactly. Just like any school, Mm -hmm. though. Mm -hmm. So my culinary school... Uh, time school time I thought it was really worth it but I put a lot of my time in there like I went to school I was I was commuting into DC so I would get up at like five thirty in the morning to sit in traffic and get to class by seven thirty, to be in class all day and then get done with class and then go work right every day yeah, yeah. I worked but, you know so I went to school full time and worked full time I, I And then I would do some extracurricular stuff. I'd stay after class and talk to the teachers. Um, my mentor and really great friend, and I kind of look at it as like my second dad, was my front of the house and wine teacher um, in culinary school. Yep. But we garnered that relationship because I put so much into it. That he looked at me as like, okay, you're not norm. Right. Most right. Because he always joked about like he doesn't learn a student's name until after the uh, second uh, second half of their education because
0: it's not uh, worth. Yeah, exactly. It's he doesn't because then at
1: least he knows you're gonna finish. Yep. Yep. <laughs>
0: yep. Uh, segue into our next question. What about you're talking about your dad knew that you were gonna be okay yeah. in, in the culinary industry. For you, what attracted you to it, and what keeps you? In
1: it. Um, a couple of things one would be the creative aspect that we're given um, we create even if it's you're in the kitchen doing another chef's menu and recipes you're still creating something every day mm-hmm. um, I think that aspect of things being a creative individual being able to make something every day um, it's fun like we get paid to do that that's yeah. awesome yeah. Um, the when I was younger and when I'm on the line uh the journaling rush uh there's totally, nothing like it totally, totally. <laughs> when, when service starts and that first ticket comes in it's like and the chef calls out the first one it's like and making sure your mise en place are ready and you're like oh shit i'm still uh, peeling quail eggs yeah. to uh to poach real quick or something like that i remember one dish i had to literally poach quail eggs soft poach them then shock them, bread them so I could fry them for the tasting menu, but they were like super soft and runny and we all know quail, like like like, stuff like that, like I had to get ready for that because we were going to do like 150 covers at night so that's like, you know out of 150 covers we do 75 tasting menus, so 75 little quail eggs (laughs) but that that adrenaline of like oh man, like that that was what kept me in it Mm -hmm. Um, what keeps me going now is the 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 every day is different now with the the change and shifts that are happening now um it's it's one it's a lot more fun granted i get I, i've kind of paid some dues to where i get to have a lot more of the fun items happening like the events and uh those kind of aspects but it's it's the now i'm in a moment in my career where it's like okay how do we affect change like and when i like by like creating the menus, doing these dinners, like it's more of now like, okay, I'm looking at things in a different way. And to me, that's exciting. Um, you know, I still get the day-to-day stress of somebody calling out sick or 86ing something or running out. But uh, but that is a, that's nothing's ever perfect. So like, you know, the grass isn't always green on the other side. So now I honestly don't See myself being in any other industry. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I will be in the facet of the industry that I am in currently forever, right. mm-hmm. but I don't see if I ever was to move on from what I'm doing now, it still somehow, some way, would be connected to this industry. Right,
0: right. Because you couldn't go and be a rapper and still incorporate food into that. It's easier to just stay where you're at and incorporate the other things that you enjoy. Yeah. Well, so you can scratch those itches with that, where you're
1: definitely, at. definitely. But I also don't know like I could go and like I've done stuff when I was in high school where I was kinda like a I did small little graphic design stuff for people and I just couldn't see myself being in like a corporate kind of job in that right. way where I'm in my cubicle nine to five mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. Um, and I and be on project like I get to be that corporate person and the project manager in a much different p- mindset sure um, without having to have the constraints of what some of these other businesses and mm-hmm. industries would have sure um, but on that whole mindset like you know I don't want to say everything like everything's for certain mm-hmm. like I, who knows five ten years from now where I'll be but right. Right now, if I was to choose, I it would still be in some facet somehow connected oh, yeah. to food and beverage.
0: So, build that build that perfect day for me. What does that ideal perfect day at the office look like for you? If if you had to like oh. set up like you're looking at a blank calendar, and where where like where do those hours break down?
1: That's interesting. Every see I. I, have, I get different, like, uh-huh. adrenaline rushes or get that different, like, that high differently uh-huh. sometimes. Like, to be, I know it sounds super nerdy, but there's sometimes I walk, when I have, like, a kick-ass month or even a really shitty month financially, Yeah. but I'm able yeah. to explain and ever, really dig, dig down into it, like, ownership meetings. Like, there's sometimes I've walked into an ownership meeting and talked through the P&L, the financial statements, from the month before, and when they're blown away like I get a high from that like interesting um like it's like showing up like that in a way that they wouldn't expect mm-hmm. and especially when you walk in like like looking like people judge a book by its cover mm-hmm. so let's be real when I walk in that way they expect me just to be a chef to sit down on the corner and when I'm able to talk circles around them in numbers that to me is like exciting but then the other perfect day would be like like, the like the three days leading up to a dinner, like the Eat With Your Eyes dinner sure. we did, or, like, cochon coming up on this weekend. Like, those three days leading up to it, like, where it's, like, I clear my calendar, I come in, and I get to just, I get to be a cook again and, yeah. be a, and like, actually be in the kitchen. Um, get my cutting board out, have my knives ready, get my little bane of my spoons and all, and I just start ticking off the list. That That, to me, is... Like, when you, sit, when you first put that prep list up on the fridge, like, I, I we have our stainless steel fridge i always, I use it in my communication fridge, and it has the menu, and it has each item uh, itemized out with, like, all the ingredients that need to be prepped out underneath each of them, mm-hmm. um, and as you start seeing, like, it check off, like, tell it the day of, and it's all checked off, and you're grabbing everything, yep. like, that to me is, like, a good day.
0: Yep. So it has to be a mix right now for
1: you. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it can't be one thing all the time because then I become complacent, I get bored. Mm-hmm. Like, but I think the back and forth of doing a little bit of everything mm-hmm. keeps things interesting for me.
0: Do you find that you enjoy that, uh, on the last interview that I posted, it was, a, it was a big emphasis on repetition and this kind of like, When you get there, it's never the thing. Do you know what I mean? Like being the executive chef, and you can kind of just like oversee everything, and you're finally off the line. You can't chase that because once you get there, you have to find the joy in the repetition of like you love putting that prep list up every day, and you love that. Like Uh,
1: it was funny. It's funny you say that. Um, A general manager that I worked for, his name was Avi. When I first became this exec chef at the age I did, he said, before I took the job, he goes, are you sure this is what you want? And I go, I looked at him, I'm like, oh, yeah, why wouldn't I? It's, and he goes, because where are you gonna go next? Because you've hit the ceiling, it's very few places to go after that, and you can never step back and go back once you cross over. And I was like, in my head, I was like, whoa, I didn't even think about it that way. But then I also have been the one growing up that, don't tell me I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And and don't tell me that this is the ceiling, uh, this is it. And that's what I've been doing now, looking and that, like with the new role I'm in now is a regional support is like kind of like creating these new roles. Right. Just because they're not there doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Totally. It just, it may not have been the right person to get that job before or create it or mm-hmm. have the drive or whatever, or the right time, opportunity, place, and whatever. Sure. Um, so, it's funny you said that. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. I'm going to rapidly change gears okay. here. What's the best meal you've had in recent memory?
1: Oh, easy. I, it's funny. That one's easy. I was just in Italy with my wife yeah. in the uh, end of June, beginning of July, mm-hmm. and we were in this little area, uh, southern part of the uh, stiletto, part of the, the heel of the stiletto, um, called Lecce, was where we stayed at, L-E-C-C-A, and we went to towns like Otranto, Santo Maria, um, like the most southern part of that part, like we were looking at Greece from uh, the coast, um, anyways, we were on a boat um, out there in Toronto. We met a couple from Milan and like where we were, we were like the only Americans there. This is where Europeans go to visit. And they were like, I mean, people would tell us like not to talk about this place because they didn't want Americans showing up. Yep, yep, yep. But there was, we were talking to him and they found out I was a chef. And it was, like, he's con- he was connected to the food world. His sister-in-law or sister um, imports Prosecco to Australia and his Mom's uncle imports Prosecco to the US, so they're, they're kind of connected, but anyways, his mom told them about a restaurant that they go to now every year down there that they told us about. And we went there, and like we went oh well, the place we were staying, we asked them to help us make a reservation so we didn't speak Italian. Where we were at, very not a lot of people spoke English. Um, so we had them help and the guy was like, oh yeah, the place is really good. So I started getting excited. Yep. We drive into this place this town and it literally i mean population had to be 500 people really it was so small yeah, and we yeah. parked and we walked past the restaurant like three times before we realized like oh this is that's it. the place and we walked in and we're like you know the outside of it we're like are we serious like how can it be that good we walked in and we the person checks us in and we go they take us through the hallway and all of a sudden we go into the backyard and it was this courtyard that was just unreal like gorgeous like just beautiful uh surrounded courtyard on the outside kind of looked like almost like 70s like art deco in a way the way with like art on the wall and like uh the covering of the the courtyard um but the again nobody there spoke english um luckily the couple without even knowing that was on that boat they showed up because it was their last night there and that's when they were having their meal so they helped us they sat next to us and they translated but it was 22 euros and it was 11-course tasting menu.
0: No way.
1: And yeah, dude, it's so unreal. And it wasn't like what you think of, like tasting menu of like 11 courses. Uh, What it was is the owner works the floor when you do this and he brings a cart up and it has the fish, it has the shrimp and the langosines and all that he literally got from from the water. Like he goes to the boats before they go to the market and buys from them like two hours before he opens. And what he does is he pulls up next to it, opens it up, and he starts taking like like live shrimp that he just peels the shell off, puts a certain olive oil and certain salt on it, and that's a course. And it was so mind blowing because like we were having like Langocene that was literally live that here, you normally, like, langostine needs to be either cooked or to have, to eat it raw, you have to have it within a few hours right. because it starts producing yep. ammonia and, yeah, exactly. And, mm-hmm. and it starts dec- decaying quickly. Um, so, that's where we had an issue, ishi- uh, like, that to me was mind-blowing. Like, here he has, like, live, like, fresh, like, hour ago. Mm-hmm. And he's feeding it to us, like, sashimi style. Um, and that was the whole course. Like, it was that with, like, some fresh raw fish and, like, almost like, uh, omak- uh omakase yeah. kind of mm-hmm. style dinner, sushi place. But in Italy, in a small little town, hidden in a courtyard that you would never even know, for twenty-two euros, yeah, yeah, yeah. to me was—I mean, I could charge like easily three hundred dollars here totally. for that, and totally. that to me was just mind blowing. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, was there like pasta or pizza or uh, bread or there? Meat? There,
1: there, there there's an no, there is an option for that. You could, but, but you in the did. tasting menu, it wasn't that. Cool. Um, there was a couple warm dishes that was like seafood, like focus at the beginning. Um, which I thought was interesting. It started with hot dishes and then went to the raw cold. Interesting. But the pasta was something you ordered afterwards, mm. uh, if you wanted it. That's um, fascinating. Yeah, it was. It was definitely to this day one one of those meals that just sticks out in my mind of yeah, like yeah. just where was I? How did that happen?
0: Have you been to Echibari in Spain?
1: No, I've never that been. to Spain. Very same. similar. I've never been. To Spain. Interesting. Yeah, it's one. It's on you my list. Do that. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> but that's very like the way that you're describing it. Very very similar meal.
1: Yeah. For me. Where oh it was really. Just
0: like, I mean, he serves his, like, the, the, the gambas that yeah. are just, like, he puts them in a tammy and just shakes them over the fire. Oh, wow. And, like, they just slowly, like, it's crazy. <laughs> like, very, but it's very so, similar. But it's so simple. It, yep. The way that you're describing is exactly the same. so simple. And so that, to simple. me,
1: is, like that's so amazing because we look at so much about technique and all this all this stuff to manipulate things yep. be a rub or compressing it in something or whatever mm-hmm. and here it was that there was like there's no there's no hiding. it was literally like this raw shrimp or prawn or whatever with, an, with a certain type of olive oil um, and salt. That was literally it. Or maybe you'd put like an herb on it, like fresh ripped leaves. Mm -hmm. And it was, to me, there was like, you weren't, it was mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Where do you feel like, do you feel like that gets lost on some people? Like we can have this such sincere appreciation for it because we've seen the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Where it's like so manipulated and so (laughs) over garnished, you know? So it's like, I think, because I, I, I wonder to myself why places like that can exist in certain places
1: well I think certain places it can't because you just don't have the product happen. there yeah, like the the product I mean the fact happen. that this guy literally went like a half a mile down the road to get the product mm-hmm. right out of the net like mm-hmm. that like yeah. you just have to s location this yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, first part um I think I think it does get lost to people because if you don't if you've never worked in that world yeah. like that you were talking about where it is manipulating or garnishing sure. and all and all you've done was simple, straightforward food. Mm-hmm. I think to to those people, you like okay, it's, it's just a it's, shrimp. It, yeah, it's yeah. the day to day again, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. where to us. I think we appreciate it because we were in that grind for so much mm-hmm. that we're like, it's a breath breath of fresh air of like, oh, I can just sit here and it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. have to try to figure it out. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Right. That's
0: so interesting. Uh, I'm gonna rapid fire question right okay. now. It's uh, did you did you do breakfast this morning?
1: Have I eaten? No, I didn't eat. No. Coffee. Okay.
0: <laughs> so it is your first day off, after a work week. Yeah. You're standing in front of your kitchen. How do you make your eggs?
1: Mine? Uh, sunny side up.
0: And what would it change if you made for your wife?
1: Uh, either scrambled or uh, like a bait
0: is that you is that just how she likes it or yeah. that's how you like okay yeah
1: that's how she likes it interesting um, yeah she uh, I like mine like runny and like slutty and sloppy yep. and she likes hers definitely cooked all the way through interesting yeah
0: name an ingredient that you're obsessed with right
1: now ooh uh charcoal
0: charcoal charcoal as far as like uh activated charcoal and all an types like
1: making like either activated charcoal or making your own charcoal or ash Yeah. um burning like it's something that we look at as just utilizing it like a heating element uh-huh. and it's it's like it's like literally decay of something that has been so overcooked but yet and then now all of a sudden we're utilizing like utilizing it it in a different takes way on a new yeah that I, to me is fascinating like it there is a flavor there like I make charcoal ash and all out of lemons and limes that uh-huh, the bar uh-huh. uses or whatever and it brings on like a smoky, bitter, like citrus flavor on right. these things when I use it. Um, or like coconut charcoal or anything like that. Like totally. to, to marbleize like um, terrines or something like that. Yep. So there's so many different approaches to it that I, I, I just like to me, it's just fascinating that people look at it. When you say it, they get like, oh my God, you're using that, But uh, like, or just cooking right on charcoal, yeah, like yeah. right on it too. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and not having a barrier, like just not even just like as an ingredient, but as a, like, just in general, charcoal to me is fascinating. Do
0: you guys have a bean show, Uh,
1: Yeah, we do. Okay,
0: yeah. cool. Uh, cookbook that you've gifted most or are most likely to recommend to people?
1: Uh, culinary Artistry and Flavor Bible.
0: Got it. Uh, what's their new one? They just came out oh, with a new one. yeah. Have you picked it up? No, I haven't. I enough. want to because <laughs> it looks really good. What is it called?
1: It's art. It's like something around plating, yeah, 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 the, yeah. like the whole plating aspect. Yeah, I forget what it's called too. But yeah, yeah, I know. It just came out. Yeah, man, those <laughs> books are so good.
0: Uh, technique that you're still intimidated by in the kitchen.
1: Um, I would probably say like, and it's more of like a dish and anything. Sushi, just like cutting the fish right, making yep. the rice. Like, I. It's one of those things I don't even touch. I, like, I, I let the masters be the masters and I go enjoy it that way. Um, I, I just don't even want to like approach it. Like, yeah, we'll do a sashimi or, or a crudo, but that's not sushi to me. That's totally. you know taking an element of that and then garnishing it full of stuff. But when it comes to actual sushi, I won't even touch it, man. Yeah, I'll just go eat it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, You somehow get a call right after this interview and you just won an all-expenses-paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant. And when you get there, there's someone you've always wanted to talk to, waiting to have dinner with you. What restaurant is it, and who is that person?
1: Oh man, I've eaten it at a lot of places. So I, the one place I never got to eat that I wanted to eat, would, and I never could get in, would be El Bui. Yep. Um, right back in the heyday, though, like early 2000s. Got it. Um, right when like searification, when they first invented the certification aspect and okay. stuff like that, like that that year of El Bulli was that like. Two thousand and like five, two thousand six, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that year of Elbow League, eat there, and who would I be sitting next to to have a conversation with? Yeah. That's a good one. Um, Questlove. Well, quest okay, I was. Questlove. Smart. <laughs> have
0: you cooked for him before? No, I haven't. Okay,
1: but that's that's who I would. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I feel like he would really get down at one of your dinners, like where you do like a collaboration. Yeah,
1: and that's fight. why I think it would be great because he could you could talk food with them, but then yep. you could talk. I would be intimidated to talk music with that guy because his music knowledge, if you even just watch him on like the Jimmy Fallon show, totally. it's unreal. Like that guy's like a like a music encyclopedia. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah. So yeah. Do you feel
0: like <laughs> it gets screwed up when you get to that level where it's like you can't enjoy music anymore? I talk I think about that with food sometimes where it's like you get so educated and so well eaten.
1: No, I think it's opposite. Okay. I think I think you appreciate the good music and yeah. you can appreciate the you can actually have a little bit more of an in-depth understanding of the musician that you're listening to because right. you know what has influenced them because you, sure. you, you know those sounds yeah, 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 yeah. just like you can look at a chef's dish and you can see what kitchens he's come mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. or um, gone through or what who inspires that yep. him or her yep. because uh that chef is then uh put what they've known on that plate
0: it's something that i wanted to circle back to when you were talking about uh when you'll get these light bulb moments yeah. and they like to you, it just seems like, oh, yeah, I just came up with this 30 minutes ago, because that's what you have to say, because it's true. Yeah. But in reality, it's really been 15 years in the making. That idea has true. been 15, 15 <laughs> years in the making, and I don't want to skew it for those for, for, for cooks listening that are like, yeah, I can just have this idea, and it'll be cool. Yeah. Because when you're talking about like your cooks coming to you with an idea, it's the reason you talk it through. Yeah. Because you have all of this prior knowledge to kind of like ask those questions.
1: Yeah, you're right. right. You're right. I guess the idea of those dinners in the moment yep. is like 30 seconds. Yep. But the and, it, to be honest, I'm 34 right now, so a lot of it is 34 years in the making. Exactly. So. <laughs>
0: exactly. Did you have a lot of sushi in Japan? Back to your sushi. Oh, God, thing.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah I ate like, it was unreal when yeah, I ate yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. <laughs>
0: Uh, where can people find you online and get in touch and uh, ask you questions? Because I feel like we covered a lot of really interesting topics. Uh, gonna...
1: Social media, yeah. Um, easiest. I mean, even you know uh, yeah, Manny, yeah. Yep. Uh, he actually reached out to me years ago on Facebook for, and I and, and I used to give him advice via like Facebook. Uh-huh. On, he would ask questions, so I would say Facebook or Instagram. Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. I probably because like it's connected to all of them. It would be easier. Yep. Uh, but I I'm pretty active and respond in a timely. Um, Okay.
0: Cool. Yeah. I. Oh. uh, One person asked a question online for you to define Pacific Northwest cuisine. Um. Interesting.
1: Uh, Pacific Northwest cuisine to me, and I'm gonna probably make it more of like Seattle cuisine is what I've kind of I'm looking at is it's. It's very, it's it's such an international hub, even prior to like, say where it's at right now with Amazon bringing people in and Deltas, now international headquarters being here. I mean, you got to look at what's here. Like you have the internet, it's not even Chinatown, it's international district. You have influences from Vietnam, Thai, uh, China, uh, Japan, but then you also have like the Nordic inspiration and Swedish and that whole uh realm of european influence totally not as heavy as you would find like say french which i think is in- interesting mm-hmm. um and but everybody uses it's i would say it's very much localized on what the ingredients are they are people are very and which is great because they're very proud of what they get here be the wine be whatever beer dist- our distilled spirit to the mushrooms to the seafood the shellfish um which, I mean, I would be proud too when it's in season, because the sh- stuff I would source in Chicago came from over here, um, for certain aspects. So uh, it's very prideful, very local-centric, but uh, with the, ha- you have to take a look and see how the international community here has really influenced the direction of where people are going with right, it too. Right,
0: right. Uh, are you familiar with the, the, the difference between a melting pot and a salad? Have you heard that expression before? No. Someone brought this up the other day and it kind of like stuck in my mind. Uh, they said Seattle's not a melting pot. Seattle's a salad where it's like there's different elements and they're kind of like touching each other. So the flavors sometimes mix, oh. but you can pick them out individually if you want, and you can see them. It's not a melt, because it doesn't... Yeah, it, doesn't a it
1: doesn't fuse together. Yeah, a, exactly. yeah no, that, that makes complete sense, <laughs> and I would agree with that 100%. Got it, got it. I would agree with that 100%, yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a salad,
0: not a melt. I may, I may have to steal that it's one. It's stuck in my brain, and yeah. I was like, whoa, that is really good. I'm
1: definitely stealing that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Emulsion Podcast. I appreciate your ears more than you know. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help sponsor the show, head on over to patreon.com slash Justin Khanna. Other ways you can help out right now include giving this show a review on iTunes so more people can find it. I also love seeing you folks liking and commenting on the video if you listen that way or even just share this episode with a friend. Now is normally why I would tell you that my name is Justin Khanna and I hope you have a good one but you've probably got another podcast episode to listen to so I'm just gonna get out of the out of the way here Excuse, excuse me